Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Got an Equity Bank-sponsored podcast today. Got Justin Maxson on the show. He's a senior executive vice president of National Catastrophe Restoration Incorporated. It's a local business in the Kansas City region. And it was fun talking to Justin because he is a third generation of a family business. And the challenges of a family business are plenty. And especially when you're a relative of the founders, uh, it's beset with its own cultural and um, stereotypical problems of running a business. And in, Justin and I breached that topic. He's a very successful young executive, and within a decade, he has climbed the ladder at the organization. He's become a very successful young executive, uh, young leader, focusing on his efforts on growth within the organization. However, as you can imagine, being a relative, like I said, um, uh, he had to break through a lot of barriers. And that's what I really liked diving in with Justin in this episode. And he does it with a whole level of authenticity and courage, and I, and I can see that in, his, in this conversation. And it's certainly a large aspect to why he's successful where he's at. So you'll get a lot out of that, uh, particularly if you're young and you're in a position like Justin. But even if it's not a family business, I mean, think about those times when, and, and this, this is really the most challenging part of any leader's journey is when you're brand new to a role and you're untested and you're untrusted and nobody knows who you are. And the, the key is how do you gain that trust, that respect of that organization, particularly when they don't know you and particularly if you're green to the organization and particularly if, if, if your age is a factor. It's a big challenge. Uh, I talk about it a lot because it reminds me of the times when – you look at that brand new officer in the military, that brand new officer in the Marine Corps, that brand new second lieutenant who has nine months of infantry training, got a college degree, 12 weeks of officer candidate school, six months of or nine months of infantry training. Then he's thrust into a platoon of some battle hardened and seasoned individuals who have tons more experience than he does. How does, they, how does he gain that respect? It's the ultimate challenge in leadership, and you're going to be faced with it with varying degrees if you're on a leadership journey. Anytime you get in a new role, you have to break through that barrier. And the worst thing you can do is rely on your positional authority. It only takes you so far, and it's very small. So you got to do the real leadership stuff to gain that trust, and you don't do it by throwing around your pedigree, your... Um, the fact that you're a fam your founder, your, your grandfather founded the business, you can't rely on that. You have to dig in and you have to gain the, the trust and respect without, you know, caving in and, 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 you know, you have to be accountable for being the leader. It's a very tough role to be in. And that's why it was fun to talk with Justin. Again, he's determined and he has proven those stereotypical statistics wrong of the family type business when the third generation takes over 
Um, they're never as successful as the founders, and uh, they're proving them wrong there at uh, NCRI. And I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. So honored to have them for two years to be a sponsor in certain episodes here on Dose of Leadership. Hopefully it will continue in the near future. I think it will, but I really enjoy these Equity Bank-sponsored podcasts. I always learn something, and so do you. They are a team, Equity Bank, that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. That's why I love having them partner with me. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. They got ideas for growth. They're planning to expand. They understand leadership. I've been to their leadership conference. I know the owners personally. And again, they know what it takes to lead a business. They are now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And they got plans to expand beyond that. And clearly this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, I encourage you to check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. All right, let's get on with the conversation with Justin Maxson, Senior Executive Vice President of NCRI, National Catastrophe Restoration Incorporated, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Hey, thanks, Richard. I appreciate you having me on. I love talking to young executives, particularly in uh, senior leadership roles. I can relate to that. I mean, I think when I was um, about your age, you're in your 30s. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Um, outside of the Marine Corps, I was, I mean, in the Marine Corps, I was given a lot of accountability and responsibility. But in the business world, I was given a tremendous amount in my 30s. And um, so I can relate. So uh, how was it you ended up at NCRI and, and got to this senior position uh, at su- such a young age? And so the the company NCRI National Catastrophe Restoration actually started uh, in 1972. So we're going on 49 years old, and uh, the founders of the company are actually my grandmother and grandfather. Oh, cool! Um, so I was born uh, into this, if you will, uh, uh, bleed uh, NCRI blue, um, and kind of uh, uh, came along, grew up in the company. So um, no one in the in the ins and outs of restoration and um, knowing the ins and outs of uh, being really being a leader uh, is something that I was groomed to do from from day one. Yeah, I love those stories. You know, the, kind of the, the family-owned businesses gives um, the follow-on generations a tremendous opportunity. That being said, it certainly presents itself with a set of unique challenges, as, as I, I can imagine. Um, what what are some of those challenges that you faced, again, being being young as you are and a family owned business, right? I mean, there's some challenges there. Absolutely. Uh, double jeopardy there. Uh, yeah. so, so, uh, being, being a family member and being a, a young executive absolutely has its challenges. Um, uh, first on the, on the young executive, uh, uh, portion, you know, one of the big things, not only for, uh, with the employees and with our clients, I think is that the, the stereotype and specifically in our industry of restoration reconstruction, the, the stereotype that age equals experience. Mm-hmm. And so what I've tried to do is really uh, kind of break that barrier and um, make sure that individuals, employees and our clients understand that, you know, really knowledge um, in your in your particular craft and in your industry and in your profession is what equals experience. Yeah, I love that answer, and you're right. I think that, um, and you know, I've 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 
trying to think of a couple of times I've coached a couple of individuals who were in that kind of same spot that you were, right? And one of the pitfalls that I've seen in my experiences with the family-owned businesses and someone that's young is this, the inherent cynicism that you get from your team members, right? And the, when you right. when you feed off of that inherent cynicism, which is going to be there regardless of not, no matter how good, you know, no matter what type of leader, you could be the best leader since, you know, Gandhi or whoever, you're right. you're going to be faced with that kind of inherent cynicism, right? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, being uh, being a family member has its even own set of challenges. Yep. Um, but I think, and especially being third generation, yeah. uh, I think the, the statistic for third generation is as soon as third generation takes over, that's when the company takes a dive. Right. Um, so no pressure uh, you on know, you. No one, pressure. One, anything. No pressure. That's right. No <laughs> pressure. So, you know, so a big focus for me um, has been to, you know, go against the odds. Uh, you yeah. Know, uh, don't be a part of that statistic. And uh, but to do it in the right way also, um, not just to, you know, try to uh, prove a point. It's to continue on the legacy, if you will, of the company, um, but then also build on the exceptionalism that we, you know, the exceptional uh, you know, uh, base that we've had over the last 49 years. So that's, that's really kind of a drive for me. And, and the reason that I wanted to get into this um, and the reason that I'm still in it today. Yeah. I love that answer. And, and you can, I can tell from, you know, part of the, the solution to this kind of challenge that you've been, you know, again, that you've been faced with, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it is to approach it with that humble teachable spirit that I'm hearing from you. Right. And to appreciate and the, the awareness of the uniqueness of the family business. And what I also heard in your answer was you completely understand that you're standing on some pretty significant shoulders and you better not screw this up. Right. Which I love that. That's yeah. And, and I love that kind of um, that humility, I guess, you know what I mean? That's what I heard from your answer. What, what do you think when you? Hear oh, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, if you could uh, make a phone call in to a few family members later and let them know that I have humility, that would be fantastic. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, that, uh, I mean, it, you know, every day um, within its own, you know, no matter the size of family uh, business, there there presents its own. Uh, challenges. Um, you know, it's unique in, in our industry with the restoration industry, like I said, with, you know, the age stereotype. So um, every day is a new challenge. Um, and all I can do is, is ask that, um, you know, each of our employees and each of our clients uh, continue to trust uh, what we're building. And I continue to, you know, what I continue to bring to the company and what I'll continue to bring um, over the life of the entity and the legacy that NCRI uh, brings. So, yeah, I love that. There was a, recently I had a client and um, the CEO uh, had his, his daughter was the um, senior vice president of marketing. And I worked for them for about 12, for 12 months and got to know them really well. And man, was she sharp. And I get her one-on-one -on -one and she really started to open up and was really authentic, really vulnerable with me. And I could see what her fears were. But then she gets out in front of the group and uh, she's about the same age as you. And, and she kind of had this mm, perception of a chip on her shoulder, right? And okay. yeah. it wasn't a chip I because I knew her, right? One-on-one. -on -one. Right. It was an insecurity of like, 
She was so focused and she's worried about what they thought. They're never going to respect me because I am daddy's girl. I'm inheriting this business, right? And there was some of right. that. And there was some of that on the receiving end. And it, it was all just misperceptions, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, great, great point. I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, almost a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I think it's a, a big thing um, for for any leader, especially, but especially one that's a, a, a family yep. member is mm-hmm. not demanding respect, right? Because there's a difference between, um, you know, making uh, your employees or, or, or trying to sh- pr- trying to prove to them that you should have respect yeah. because of your title or who you are, exactly. rather than and what I try to do is is earn the respect right. uh, just by showing them my passion every single day and and what I'm trying to build and uh, not only for you know the company but for really for the, for the employees. Yeah, I love your answer, and that's where I was going with it, right? And over time, I was just like, hey, just be the, you know, you have it. It is what it is, right? I mean, you're in this position. People are going to think what they're going to think, but don't let that thinking, um, which it was, was affecting her, and it made it come across that she was had a chip on her shoulder, right, and that she didn't have to do I – and mean, it, it was just insecurity, and she wanted to. And then once she started opening up and, like you said, earning the respect to your point, which takes a tremendous amount of intentionality. And the reality is being a family member in that family-owned business is going to be more difficult for you than it would be if I was thrust in that position, right, as an outsider. Right. And it just is, right. it is what it is. But if you're true and you're authentic and you do the leadership thing, I mean, that respect will be – gained over time, right? It's a marathon. So Absolutely. I love I love your answer. Yeah. Very cool. Well tell Absolutely. me tell me a little bit about um um well it sounds like you had like you said, you're standing on some great shoulders. What were some of those um I don't know, leadership traits, those characteristics that you saw from the previous two generations that you want to emulate or you want to carry on, I guess? Well it's certainly the passion. Um Definitely the passion. My my grandfather had a, an enormous uh, uh, passion for um, helping people. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, when I talk about restoration, reconstruction, and us going in and our, our teams going in, and and whether it's from disinfecting, you know, from COVID uh, to mold remediation to you know water damage, uh, fire damage, um, it it's it's a service, right? We're providing a service. And, um, so that, that's the one thing that my family's always been passionate about is just being able to be of service to others. And so that's, that's a huge point for me carrying on, um, the legacy of the company is, is to always have that, um, background of ultimately that we are a service provider for those in need. Um, certainly. Yeah. What about, um, what is it about your grandfather? And he, you said he's still active in the business, or is is he is? Yes, we still we still have three generations in the business. In the business. So uh, my right. my grandmother is the president, and my grandfather's the uh, CEO. My father is the uh, uh, COO, and then um, I am the uh, senior executive vice president. Yeah. Very cool. And so if you look at your grandfather, what type of leader do you think he is? If you could characterize him, what, what do you what do you see in him from a leadership perspective that that really stands out? 
well, he's he certainly leads by example. Um, and like I said, that, that the passion that he has for providing service to those in need um, and, and then showing it, not necessarily saying it, he, he's definitely a lead by example leader. Um, so those are those are uh, characteristics that, you know, that I try to emulate. Um, I've, you know, me and my style of leadership, I'm more of a focal leader. Um, of course, I, you know, I grew up in this business, so I, you know, had my boots on and I'm not afraid to still go get at, you know, get dirty and things like that. But, yeah. um, uh, I just feel like my expertise is more on, on the vocal side, but, um, certainly, um, my grandfather is, is a, uh, is a leader by example. Yeah. He's not going to ask you to do something that you, he wouldn't do himself or he hasn't even done. Right. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I love that. I think it's so important. And when you say, you said focal or vocal V or, or F, what was the V vocal. vocal. I'm a, I'm a vocal leader. Yes. What does that mean? What does it explain to me what that means? Uh, so I'm, I'm a passionate person. Uh, mm-hmm. my family's been passionate about service, but I, I think what, what I try to do is I try to convey and communicate, um, all of the, uh, right things to our employees and our clients. Uh, um, so, you know, everything that NCRI stands for, um, I'm, I'm, I take it upon myself to make sure that it gets conveyed appropriately to, to everyone that it can. Uh, and so that there's no, you know, misconstrued information about, you know, our intentions and what we're doing. Like I said, at the end of the day, we're a service provider. Um, there's a lot that goes into providing that service, but, um, you know, what I try to do is I try to, uh, you know, communicate everything I can, uh, not only to our clients, but to our employees about, you know, just, just everything that we're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, you can't, um, I think that's good. I think particularly as you go through your leadership journey, as you, as you get older, uh, understanding the the power of that communication. I don't think you can, I think it's impossible. And I haven't met any leader, any executive who is over communicating. Now they may be over communicating the wrong things, but I mean, if you're communicating the right things, it's impossible to over communicate where you're taking this organization and why you're doing what you're doing. I think that is probably one of the most important and often overlooked responsibilities of leaders is, is communicating on an effective basis. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And, and especially to, you know, especially to the employees. Absolutely. Um, not every day are they, you know, in our, the conference room, you know, we have ours is called the war, you know, we call it the war room. Um, you know, they're, they're not in all those conversations every day. And so they don't get to hear the ins and outs uh, and, you know, the, the back, the back office, if you will, what's going on. So it's, it's extremely important um, to make sure that you're conveying the right message to the employees about you know, all the hard work of, of what they're doing and where, where it's taking the company. Um, you know, when I think about making sure that you're, you know, communicating to employees and taking care of employees, uh, one of my favorite quotes from, from Richard Bronson, Brand, uh, the you know, yeah, owner Branson. of Virgin. Yep. Um, uh, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit because I'm going off of memory, but uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, that, you know, he, he doesn't focus on his clients. It's he says that he takes care of his employees so that they will take care of their clients. Yeah. And so I've really, uh, you know, tried to focus on that, um, and, and took that to heart. And, um, and like I said, I, I I try to do that with, you know, communicating as, as often as I can, um, but as, as correctly, 
that I can to make sure that all of our employees know um, exactly what they're doing and what the end goal is and why they're doing it. Yeah, I love that intent. I mean, it <clears throat> it is a challenge. It, it's it's something that I think you could spend a lifetime trying to perfect ways to communicate with your team. And and as long as I think it's coming from an authentic place uh, and focused on kind of the intent, the overall, this is this is why we exist. This is what we're doing. This is what I expect of you. You know what I mean? You're always communicating expectations. You're communicating intent. You're communicating um, absolutely. You know your values, your mission, vision, values. It should be in almost every aspect of your communication. Even if you're crossing someone in the hall, it doesn't mean that you go into some elevator pitch every time you run into somebody. But it 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 somehow has to organically emanate from you all the time. And that's right, absolutely. And that's hard work. I mean, it really is hard work. And I think that's um, I, that is and one it of needs to remain positive. Too, absolutely. Right? I mean, that's that's a that's a huge. Um, key to that is that uh, it, it always it needs to remain positive. Otherwise, you, you know, you could be communicating and, and people can interpret what you're saying the wrong way. And then all before you know it, you have, a, you know, a group of employees that are now, you know, negative, have a negative outlook on the company of what they're doing. So it's I mean, you're correct in all that. And it just needs to make sure that it's always on the track of being positive. Yeah. And I would even take it further and maybe even tweak what you said a little bit that it should always be optimistic because, um, oh, yeah, perfect. You know, I love be, that. yeah, because, and I, and I love what, I love what you mean by the positive, but sometimes particularly in like crises, right. I don't want a positive person. I want an optimistic, but it's a subtle, but powerful difference. Right. You, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Optimate. Yeah. I, I, I fancy myself a realist Yeah. so that, uh, I mean that, that optim, yeah, that optimism is perfect for that. And, and always making sure that, um, you know, the details and facts, uh, are you know are presented appropriately. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I think back to those times, even the Marine Corps, like what we were in a really crummy situation, whether it's training or real life. And the last thing I want is some positive do-gooder up there trying to motivate me. Does that make sense? Not that, not that oh, that's, yeah. what, that's how you do it, no, but I, I mean, I, but the real, right. you part. don't want somebody, you don't want, you don't want somebody just filling you full of uh, all the goods when you know that, it, you know, situation that we're in isn't necessarily a good thing. Right. Right. But that, opti- <laughs> but that optimism, it's like, yeah, this is a crummy situation, but you know what? 
I'm glad I'm with you guys because somehow we're going to see this through, you know, and that's right. And, and, we're, we're and gonna here's the out. direction of how we're going to get exactly. out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I like it. I knew what you're saying. And, and, um, I, I just think about sometimes when I, when I look at when I was in my twenties and 30, a lot of time in my twenties and thirties, early thirties was in the Marine Corps. But, um, God, you'd see that all the time, you know, where guys felt like their job was to be as the platoon commander or the leader is like always be this motivating rah rah force. And I'm like, that's just nobody. That's I don't want that. You know what I mean? Right. It, it because some, it comes off fake sometimes. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's right. not, we call it false motivation. Yeah. Yes, that's per yeah false motivation. Um, yeah, that's so uh, making sure that you're just staying on, on track and. And not not giving that false information, <laughs> right. but but giving the you know the facts of how some how we can handle a situation and and here's the best you know best moves and best foot or here's our best foot going forward. Yeah, yeah. we were talking a little bit before the co- we started recording. I said that one thing that I wanted <clears throat> to share certainly some of my challenges when I was your age and I, and I was on a fast track in the when I got out of the Marine Corps and, and even the executive side I was really moving up the the corporate ladder. Um, and again, I was, I was immersed in leadership. You know, I was taking all the stuff I learned from flying planes and the Marine Corps and doing this and that. And one thing I failed at though, big time. And it was, I took the eye off the ball on, uh, the home front. And I think I told my, I know I told myself that I was working 60, 70 hours a week and doing all these things and never home because I felt like I was doing it for the family, but I was really doing it for my my ego and, and, and at the, at the expense of my relationship with my wife and, and my kids. And it led to almost a divorce and certainly a, a really splat moment for me. How do you, how do you keep you personally, how do you keep yeah. things in perspective and check? I mean, I've seen your picture. I'm assuming you're married. I don't know if you have kids or not, but, but how do you keep, and I don't like work-life balance. I hate that word. It's it, To me, it's about yeah. it's about priorities because I don't think you can balance work in, in life. Sometimes priorities That's, take place. Sometimes work has to be the priority. Sometimes family has to be that priority. And knowing when to go back and forth, I think, is the challenge. Anyway, I said a lot there. What do no, you have to say about I, absolutely. That? So I, I, um, actually, it's funny that you bring this up because uh, I just had, we just had, my wife and I just had our first boy. Uh, first child congratulations. Uh, just three weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Um, Big time. Congratulations. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. So yeah, going, going on limited sleep uh, and a lot of coffee and a <laughs> yeah. lot of Red Bull, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, energy drinks, all that good stuff. Um, so I, I am in the midst right now of learning, right. This, uh, you know, this prioritization of work and family, yeah. um, you, you know, before, and my, my wife's a, a teacher, she's a first grade teacher. Um, and she is by far one of the best teachers, you know, first off, teachers don't get paid what they should. No, the they do not. Time, <laughs> the amount of time and work and effort that go into what they do. And I can tell you every Sunday, my wife, when, when they could go to the school, uh, my wife was at the school every Sunday preparing for the week. She would be wow. up there for five, six hours every, you know, Holy every single Sunday, just getting ready, um, you, you know, for, for that entire week. And it was because of how much she cared for the kids, wow. right? It's that, you know, her job is to move this generation of kids up to the, you know, up to the next level. And I mean, she takes, she took that to heart. She still takes it to heart. Um, 
So prior to us having a child, um, you know, if, if I got a phone call, you know, one of the uh, major things that we do is that we help clients after a major catastrophe. And one of the most major catastrophes that happens for us in the United States is a hurricane. And so uh, we're in the midst of hurricane season right now. So typically, I'm, you know, our, our team is gearing up, our catastrophe team is gearing up. I'm looking at, you know, landing zones for equipment and resources. And, and you know, I'm one of the people that, you know, goes down there and, and you know, leads the charge, quote unquote. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the same this year mm-hmm. because I have, you know, one or two month old. So um, prioritizing right now is, is certainly at, at the top of my list. Um, and I, I think it's, it's definitely not, I, I can tell you this and just from seeing, and, and I try to expose myself to as many other leaders as I can. And just from seeing some other, uh, leaders, um, it, you know, being an executive and being a leader is not for everybody. Right. Um, right. And I say that because you have to have an enormous heart. And some people can't take how big they have to love each, you know, sector of their lives, if you will. And so I got to have, you know, a, a enormous heart for my family and my wife and my child. I got to have an enormous heart for all my employees. I got to have an enormous heart for all of my extended family. Um, and, and so it's, it's right now it's prioritizing and, and uh, just making sure that I continue to, you know, love each one of those um, each one of those sections, if you will. Um, you know, one of the, I think one of the podcasts that you did, uh, just a few weeks ago, <laughs> um, I absolutely loved it. And I think that you were talking about it's that, um, uh, making, being uncomfortable, but making everything uncomfortable is out of love. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm getting ready to do is there's going to be some uncomfortable, uh, some uncomfortableness, um, in our organization and in my, you know, in my life at home. Um, but it's all out of love. Yeah. I love your, I really do love your answer. And I know it's coming from an authentic place. I mean, and I feel, I feel for you. And at least and, and the good news is what you have going for you is the, the awareness of it, I think, you know, and I, and I look back to me and I knew it was, again, my situation was different in the sense that my, passion or the job that I had as an airline pilot was taken away after 9-11. And so then I, I, and I bought into the big lie. And I, and I think this is where, particularly men, I think this is where most people get jacked up is, is the vast majority of the society's bought in this big lie is that your self-worth is based on what you accomplish and what other people think of you. Now, again, I just right. described like 95% of the population. That's right. Right? That's right. Because that defines the rat race cycle that we all get involved in, and particularly men. And not, and so my point was, is that I really identified myself as a pilot. I wanted you to know that I was a pilot. Well, I'm not a pilot. I mean, a pilot is just something that I do, right, to provide it's income. It's your profession. It's my profession. Sure. I am not defined as a pilot. I'm not – what and, and replace pilot with whatever, Right. Right. And even defining yourself as a father is kind of sketchy territory, right? You are a father at the moment, right? And you're a husband. And you, these are roles that you play, and if that, if that makes sense. And, and yes. the, the important thing is to make sure that your role doesn't define you. And um, I know it's kind of weird territory, but I mean, it, it, how many examples have you seen stories of like, well, I, my, my role was a mother. And then when the kids grow up, the mother role they're lost, right? Right. That's right. 
And it's going to be the same for you as like my role is I'm a senior executive vice president in CRI. And that's my, you know, and I identify that's my self-worth is based on that role. It can't be, you know, is my point. And so that, that self-worth has to come from someplace else. And that does not mean that you don't relish in the fact that you're a father and the relish of you're, you're proud of the, the accomplishments you make as a senior executive. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, have all no, those goals. Absolutely. And, Le- yeah. Leadership goes beyond what your profession exactly. is. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's a really, it's a really personal topic for me because it, it I learned that late in life. And, and fortunately we're still married and, um, but I mean, man, a lot of damage was done that could have been avoided if I wouldn't have, bought into that lie of my self-worth was based on the title and what I've accomplished and what other people think of me. Right. Right. And, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, check, check back with me in a couple months. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, you're right though, that, that at least you're aware that the challenge, cause you're right. It's like, well, well, cause you're already trying to navigate it. Like, wow, this is different. You know, okay. When hurricane season comes, maybe I can't just pack up and go, or maybe you have to, you know what I mean? It, it, I don't know what the right or wrong answer is and it can be different sure. for each situation, but at least you're aware of it at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the one of the greatest things uh, I have to compliment my wife on. I mean, she like I said before, she's such driven and passionate about what she does. I mean, she carries that, you know, into our relationship. So she's she's the one that's always moving me forward and what we do. And um, and and so, you know, she knew obviously being a family business, she knew of the family business and and its ins and outs and, and what we do. And so when it was hurricane season, you know, she said, I understand, you know, so that's a huge testament to her of basically saying, I know what you need to do for your employees and for those people that are counting on you. And so she was, you know, taking that upon herself to say, it's okay for you to go take care of somebody else. I'll be okay for this time period. Yeah. Right. No, Um, which is just a huge testament. Um, and so that, you know, we'll, we'll be going down that journey in, in a couple months, uh, you know, with my son. And so, you know, I'll, I'll take it upon myself and maybe I don't want to, you know, go do that at that point in time. Right. Maybe it's less time, you know, it's one of those, we'll evaluate that situation once we get there or cross that bridge when we get there. And, and, but the good thing is that, uh, because of our relationship and, I, I don't think that we're going to have a problem with it. No, I mean, it sounds like, sounds like if, you know, if she's, she gets what it means where the priorities are again, like her priority, she probably didn't uh, desire if she had her druthers, didn't want to have to go on a Sunday night, but she understood her priorities was for her kids and students. You know, it's, it's the difference if, okay, is she going there Sunday night to prepare for the student because she wants to get away from you, you know, and that's her right. ego yeah. or is, or is she <laughs> yeah. going because she know that's her priority. That's the difference, right? And, yeah, that's right. That's correct. Yeah. And yeah, it could be that she was getting away from me. But I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and then think that she was doing it because she didn't necessarily really, she'd rather be at home Sunday evening, you know, with the family. Yeah, but, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff, man. I, I get, it. I, I love talking. I know it's got kind of deep and personal, but I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's important, you know, for, from the leadership aspect of it, it is about love and priorities. I mean, when, when you strip it down at the end of the day and the leadership cannot, you know, it, it's in every aspect of your life and it is challenging. Right. It, it is. Doesn't, it doesn't get hung up, right? It it's doesn't not, get hung it up. doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't get hung up. It doesn't, uh, you know, get left at the office. It's with you every single day. Yeah. And wherever you're at, you have to be, and it's about being present, you know, and as, as simple as that sounds, it's like when you do get home 
and the limited time that you're there, that you are a hundred percent present for your wife and for your kid, you know, even That's though, right. and you, and try to fight, you know, drifting back to the challenges you got for wherever, you know, and the same thing right. goes when you're there on the front lines doing what you do best. I mean, you got to be present there, you know, um, I, from an aviator standpoint that we got to do that all the time. I got to be present when I'm, when it's time for me to shoot an approach in bad weather, I can't be thinking about, you know, the challenges, challenges I'm having with my kids or whatever, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's something that definitely, um, is a trait that's learned. Um, I want to call it a characteristic. It's, I think it's a trait that's, that's, and it's only learned of, um, being able to come to work. And if you're in that leadership role, anything else that's been going on outside your life, whether it's family, you know, financial, whatever it is, that that stays out the door. And now your leadership role is all of the employees and all of your clients and everything that's involved with that leadership role starts immediately as you walk through that door. Yep. Um, and so that way, you know, each employee, you give a hundred percent of your effort. And so that, you know, but just like saying before, I mean, that's, that's what I try to do. And, and, you know, I hope that I, that uh, my employees see that I do it well. I, you know, we've had some of the longest retention, um, within the past, you know, decade now. So I believe that I am doing it well. Um, but just showing each employee and having that individual relationship, you know, that, that each individual relationship with each employee showing just how much you care about, you know, what they're doing and what they're providing for, you know, the company and for the client. That's awesome. I love it. Well, what's next for you guys as you're coming obviously, um, I've met a couple other people in the restoration business during this, not through the podcast, but I've met some um, and a couple of my mastermind groups, a, a person's in the restoration uh, yeah. group. And I learned a lot and I didn't know really anybody in the restoration business. And this guy's in my mastermind group. I've known him for about a month and he's shared me some really crazy stories. And so what's obviously COVID-19 disinfecting everything else. That's probably a pivot, to, but is business up? Is it the same? What's new? What's next for you guys, I guess, is where I'm going. Well, it so COVID nineteen definitely had an impact. Um, it basically one part of our company uh, wasn't able to do work anymore, um, but our environmental side of our company all of a sudden took off, and so we were blessed with being able to have you know a, a workforce to immediately move over, transition into this environmental side, and uh, you know help uh, companies and in all different types of industries. Um, be able to disinfect their, you know, spaces uh, from manufacturing to, you know, meat packing plants. And, um, you know, over, over this last 45, 60 days, we touched about, you know, 40 different states and, uh, can, you know, in Canada and, and Mexico. So, um, you know, what's next, what we've kind of been seeing is, is that technology is taking over, um, you know, essential business, if you will. Um, and so if you are not up to date in the type of resources you need with technology and being able to provide those to your clients, then, um, you know, you're, you're going to fall behind very quickly. So I think what's moving next for just our industry, not only just in CRI, but, uh, our industry is you're going to see a lot of new technology, uh, enter in this restoration reconstruction space, uh, that wasn't here before. Um, and it's going to be hitting everybody from, you know, just the regular, uh, Mrs. Smith, um, you know, homeowner, uh, all the way to, you know, the, uh, large, uh, manufacturing, uh, clients. So 
Uh, that's that's definitely where I see the industry going. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is I'm, if I'm thinking about right, like residential restoration and I mean, you still have that, right? I mean, you still got fire, smoke, and water damage, which is the typical when you think of these your type of companies. I mean, that's still happening, right? Or is it because of COVID nineteen? You have to approach it certainly a lot differently, right? I, I guess I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, that's right. Those didn't stop, right? Water losses didn't stop. Fires didn't stop. Same thing for you know police and firefighters. I mean, none none of that stopped. So. Um, it's just how we go about it and how we have to protect the client, how we have to protect our employees, that all changed. And yeah. then how information is shared and um, that all is changing. Um, so it's it's definitely evolving right before our eyes. Yeah, that's what my friend said, that his biggest challenge is like, well, how do we keep everybody safe here, employees and the client, you know, so that was mm-hmm. kind of, we. of course, this was about a month ago he was talking about that and it was still kind of really new, you know. And, um, right. Interesting stuff. Well, very cool, man. So I, how can people learn more about NCRI and, and, um, and get in touch with your yeah, organization? Absolutely. So uh, our website is www.ncricat.com. It's ncricat.com. Uh, if you have uh, any, any sort of uh, question at all, you can call our phone number. Um, it's 1-800-598-6274 um, and, and speak with any one of our professionals, restoration professionals about any sort of project. So, um, you know, the, the great thing about it, our industry is we, t- we touch so many different services, you know, so everything from disinfecting to mold remediation to water damage and storm damage and fire damage. Um, and then we, you know, we're a class A commercial contractor. So, you know, we, we do the full reconstruction, but we also build from ground up. So um, anything that you, any sort of service you need for a property uh, in CRI is, is the team to call. Yeah. I mean, looking at things, you know, electronics, restoration, dry ice blasting, which I didn't even know was a thing. And, uh, right. Right. That's so, a whole, Hey, that's a whole nother story. Dry ice know, blasting. Right? My, my, gr- my grandfather brought that to the industry gosh, 30, 30 years ago, because he was originally from the aircraft industry. So he brought that from the aircraft industry over to restoration and it, and it took off across the country. That's crazy. Cause like it says right here is that upon impact, the dry ice converts into a harmless gas CO2, which also serves as a disinfectant. You can That's use right. it safely and effectively on surfaces as expansive as building exteriors to fragile as electronic components. Very interesting. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, and it we, doesn't leave a residue. That's what's cool about it. Yeah. That's right. So we, we use that a lot in, in fire situations, but we use it in mold. Uh, we, we do some electronic cleaning with it. So yeah, that's just, just another one of those uh, depth of services uh, that we offer that most people, you know, don't, don't, don't realize or don't know about unless they get to that particular situation. So. Yeah. And I guess too, I mean, in, in your footprint is all over the United States, right? I mean, you can, you can be anywhere. Is that it is. Yeah. That's right. We service all 50 States and U S territories. So we, we can help out uh, in any state. Very cool, man. Very cool. All right, man. Thanks for letting me uh, dive into your personal life. Maybe, maybe you weren't expecting that on a dose of leadership, but we like to get authentic and transparent on the show. And I appreciate you being a, a willing participant of that. It was great stuff. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for having me on Richard. Yeah, no, it was good stuff, man. You're one of the good ones and a continued success. And I'm proud to have you in the dose of leadership drive. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. 
tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concepts of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.